0: Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish, this is the show we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you? I'm George Demarellis and on the show today we have a TV comedy editor who's worked on both The Chaser and as senior editor on Tonightly with uh, Tom Ballard. So welcome to the show Dylan Behan, how are you?
1: Good George, how are you going today? I am uh, great, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me on, it's great to be on and talk talk books on Bookish.
0: Yes, that's that's you've 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 got the memo. Great, it's Man, great like, to hear. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> less than people. Sometimes less than
0: people realize. But
1: yeah, that's like, Oh, on books. Oh, whoops. Uh, should have prepared something.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, exactly. No, no. It could be. Um, people can panic that it's like uh, going to be super literary. But I'm always like, it, we work with the guests. Although your track record, I'm guessing, are you a big are you a big <laughs> the, reader?
1: I. I am and I'm not a great book reader. I'm very busy and uh, working on many projects all at once all the time uh, when I'm working. But I do love a good holiday book. I love reading books on holidays. My favorite thing to do to just switch off and get away from the keyboard and get away from the screen is to plant myself on a beach or in a cafe somewhere and read books. And um, that's kind of the reason I picked um, the book I'm talking about today, because it's just a great beach read. It's a great holiday book. Okay, so
0: the, how do you define books as a holiday book?
1: I don't know. For me, it's something that um, is easy to read, uh, sh- not too long. <laughs> like I tried to read Shantaram when I was backpacking around India and it's like a thousand pages and it was like, you know, a bit too long, bit too long. <laughs> a bit too long. <laughs> I don't know if it's a thousand pages, but it felt like a thousand pages. So, you know, a good 200 pages of, you know, not too many characters, not too much plot, not too, you know- kind of easy to follow mm. a little bit of maybe political intrigue or uh, my favorite books to read on holidays, like trashy showbiz biographies, like really cheap ones, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's a book on Springsteen or David Bowie or Prince. Oh, great. I'll read that in two days. That'll be fantastic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a book you can read like a little bit tipsy potentially. <laughs> it's
1: still- Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Hammock beer, trashy showbiz book. Yeah. Perfect. That's that a great holiday for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's like, that's a good that's a good <laughs> it's a good like yeah. simple way to cut it out. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just can you be yes. tipsy and read it? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, okay, then it's yeah, holiday book. Yeah, um, yeah. Nice. Well, okay, so let's go. You mentioned the book, so your your book of choice for today, we'll go into
1: that. So yeah, I picked I picked uh The Rum Diary by Hunter S. Thompson, uh, which uh for a bit of background on it, um is actually his second book he ever wrote uh in the early in the early 1960s uh but it wasn't published until 1998 uh which is actually when i discovered it i was um at uni at the time and i saw it in my local co-op bookshop and i was just like oh that looks good um at uni and uh yeah it was written it was published well after he was famous for the fear and loathing books and all those, um, and the book is uh, him. It's kind of semi, from what I've heard, semi autobiographical. Like, based on the characters he met when he was working, uh, I believe at a newspaper in Puerto Rico, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, in the in nineteen in nineteen fifty nine, in the early nineteen sixties. Um, and it's basically kind of plotless. It's him bef- and all the characters working at this kind of almost bankrupt newspaper in this kind of tropical Caribbean island. Um and just kind of you know drinking and having fun, and it's two hundred pages, and nothing much really happens, <laughs> but it paints a great picture of this kind of <clears throat> idyllic lifestyle of he's getting paid a lot of money, and the book opens with this great description of this bar called owls, which is uh this guy built in his backyard uh in a port in a in a patio in his backyard and it sells um I think it sells beer for 20 cents, rum for 10 cents, 15 cents if you want ice. <laughs> and it sells hamburgers. And that's where all the journalists hang out. And half the book is set in this bar and they're just kind of, you know, daydreaming and talking about the next pay packet and the next dream job and the next gig. And, and, you know, they're going off exploring the islands and it's kind of the interpersonal relationships. Um, yeah, I'm not selling it very well, but it's also just a very easy <laughs> it's a very easy book to read. I I, I really enjoyed it. Time. And I kind of I I bought it, you know, twenty years ago at uni and I've picked it up and reread it. Not many books I've reread, but I've reread this one a couple of times. And rereading it for this a, a couple of weeks ago was an absolute joy to reread. Yeah. Because it's just it's just fun. It's just really it's just really
0: fun. And you're also you're 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 in Sydney, right? Yes. So you're you're <laughs> in a grim lockdown with no sign of ending, so I guess reading about a nice holiday destination thing is probably pretty nice, right?
1: That's it. Yeah. I, you know, I, in my mind, I was in, you know, San Juan, Puerto Rico in owls (laughs) hanging with my friends instead of just, you know, texting them and catching up with them on zoom, which is all I can can do at the moment. And it's very hard to read this book and not want to drink rum the whole time. Like it's called the rum diary for a reason they're buying, I think, you know, gallons of rum for a couple of dollars and, bags of ice and just I love, yeah. <laughs> traveling around the islands on boats and you know writing articles and and blagging their way into places oh I write for the New York Times you know all this kind of stuff and um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's a fun it's a fun book the story supposedly is is that um, Johnny Depp found the manuscript at Hunter S. Thompson's house um, after uh, or around the time he played him in in Fear and Loathing it was like this is great you got to publish this and Hunter S. Thompson at the time was going through his kind of divorced debonair phase, and he needed money, and he was like, "Okay, great."
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I actually saw that under the, the <laughs> because I just did a quick scan because I haven't actually read it. Yeah. I, the, which t- yeah. it sounds like a very much a book. I probably <laughs> we're not spoiling, um, mm. but yeah, I saw that Johnny Depp discovered. It. I'm like, that is. I don't know much about Hunter S. Thompson, but I feel like it's a very Hunter S. Thompson for this book to be found and then yes. published, the fact that Johnny Depp found it when playing well, him were, in Fear and Loathing. they were close
1: friends. He played him twice. He played him in Fear and Loathing in 98 and in the movie of The Rum Diary, which came out in 2011. Oh, right. Uh, which was very weird because in uh, Johnny Depp is 13 years older than he was in Fear and Loathing, but he's playing a character who's about 12 or 13 years younger than the character in Fear and Loathing. <laughs> So, um, Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's Hollywood, baby. (laughs) It's the magic. (laughs) But that's... uh, Yeah, no. So, I guess um, I first... Okay, firstly, just to say that quickly. Yeah, 100% when you read a book like that, where it's got like, where it's talking up the rum or whatever, it just totally... (laughs) I get you. I, I, whatever it is, because I think it's the ability to actually describe it means like they can really delve into why it's great, <laughs> in a way that like cinema can to a degree. But when you're yeah. reading it, it's like it just burrows in.
1: It oh, gives you more. Oh, but they never talk about the ta- they never talk about the taste of it. It's purely hedonistic it's purely they're just drinking rum to get drunk
0: okay just a party okay
1: (laughs) more or less more or less or to drown their sorrows you know at owls as their newspaper is going bankrupt around them (laughs) which is also an experience i've shared i wrote i wrote for street press for many years and you know and i've worked in tv and media and you know we've all worked for production houses or newspapers or publications or media companies that are on the verge of bankrupt constantly (laughs) so that, that i think i related rereading it i definitely related to that camaraderie amongst um uh, Hunter s thompson's character and his fellow co-workers about <laughs> working for a company that's going under
0: oh yeah okay yeah because it's interesting because when you picked the book i was like okay yeah, obviously you're working in the news uh and Hunter s thompson's renowned for his uh take on like personalizing but sensationalizing news things which was like which you could argue is a different mm-hmm. form of satirizing news in mm-hmm. a sense putting a personal spin on it um, but I didn't think about the actual description in the story about a failing. <laughs> you would have related to that as well, which, uh, yeah, because obviously when you work in media, you're going to have a lot of those kind of experiences.
1: <laughs> yes, and you and and it's the camaraderie of of the workers, you know, jumping from failing from sinking ship to sinking ship, which I think I I related to because they're all like, oh, you should go here, go work here. I've got a connection here. I'll go work there. You know, they're all kind of traveling the world, working for English language newspapers wherever they can, trying to trying to get by and have adventures.
0: Right. That's actually, again, uh, I don't know if I'm going, like that does sound kind of like, yeah, especially in the Australian uh, media I can sometimes work like that again. Yes. Especially the satire because like obviously, uh, as I mentioned at the start, you're in The Chaser, but then you went to Tonightly, which uh, famously didn't last yes. <laughs> too long as this show.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: So that was probably your own experience of that.
1: Yes, and we all still meet up at the pub and <laughs> try and get each other jobs all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that community sense you don't uh, think about with that sort of thing. Um, to go into that actually for a sec, because I, I am interested in uh, For sure, yeah, a lot of parts of that. I guess, uh, firstly, do you have any like... So, okay, let's look at Tonightly because Chase is still kind of going strong. Did you move from Chase to Tonightly because you saw it as an opportunity to do something different?
1: Or yeah, well, bold or- well, it was kind of at the time that... Um, chaser uh i kind of timed it fortuitously chaser with their tv work has kind of dried up since then so chaser now is still really only going strong with their podcast and online stuff so i worked with the chaser in there on the tv shows for about 10 years did i think four federal elections with them um and then i did five seasons of the checkout which was their kind of consumer affairs show and i was just like oh, i need it i need i need a change i need a change and then tonight came along which was just perfect timing um, and, you know, at the time I was like, well, you know, the feed and the project have gone for 10 years. So this will definitely go for 10 years. And it went for a year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you, know, do you know what the reason might have been? That it got axed? Yeah. Yeah. Like as in why it was viewed differently, I guess. Well, what, yeah. Why it got axed. Obviously, oh, look, I'm sure I think, you've done a 1000000 postmortems <laughs> we, oh, <laughs> when having these beers yeah, around the table. Again, with yes,
1: you get a few beers in the Tonightly Gang and that's all we talk about. Um, look, it was I think it was officially budget. Like, it was an expensive show for the ratings. The ratings weren't strong. Uh, but it was also, like, a youth show, which doesn't rate well traditionally in free-to-air uh, time slots. But we did very well with the, the podcast and with social media. But, you know, I think also just generally the ABC um under the current, how do I? I need to word this very politely. <laughs> under the current, <laughs> under the current political climate, does not have an appetite for uh, poking the bear of the uh, federal government, or uh, you know, speaking truth to power, especially when it when it comes to young people. The famous thing was we got we got right after we were there when Scott Morrison became PM, and we poked fun at him being a Christian and a lot of his anti-Christian, uh, anti-boat people rhetoric, anti-refugee rhetoric. Uh, Wyatt and Bridie Connell White. Nixon Lloyd and Brady Connell did a song um, poking fun at this the day he became PM or the two days after he became PM. And then it was on the front page of the Telegraph a few later, a few days later, uh, which kind of sent a message, I think that, that, the you know, this isn't an area the ABC should be playing in, you know, pointing out the the political hypocrisy of, um, of our leaders in a way that's easily digestible for young people. Um, <laughs> but no, I don't think, I don't think that actually played a part, but I think it was more just ratings and finances, but there definitely has not been a real appetite for you know from the a b c to to shake the boat or you know lose you know do anything to upset the government that they can lose funding over um since then and and there's definitely been a move away from doing things for young people because I think they see that the ratings are in um are in you know real estate shows for boomers <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> feeling. Having someone on who does new satire, this podcast was going to get grim at some point. <laughs> we started early. <laughs> There's no way you can. The world is yeah okay. Um, I guess like to go into that a bit further because I actually am just interested. Uh, like yeah yeah. I think people can sometimes think that like because the the ideal is that something like the ABC stands is independent, so like it just funds things and is almost apolitical in its stance. Um, And obviously, it gets hammered Mm. by certain groups that it's so lefty and so Mm. promoting lefty causes and stuff. But the actual truth is, I think a lot of the time with something like this is actually it ends up towing a line where maybe it looks like that, but like it actually doesn't really combat truth to power Mm. in a sense because they're the paymasters in a sense.
1: Well, I think the problem we're facing is is everything this government does is against young people. So whenever you make a political satire or shows for young people, it is automatically against the government because everything this government does is and has done, and I'd say almost both sides of politics have done for 20 or 30 years, punishes young people, whether it comes to education, housing affordability. So, you know, it is impossible to make comedy in this space without pissing off the government because the government is so anti young people. <laughs> yeah, well look. That's my opinion. That's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, that's right. I, <laughs> I but kinda... I think
1: but I think a good but but you know, a lot of times the ABC, you know, David Spears in particular, you know, the ABC does get Hassled for being too right-wing. And, you know, I think a good public broadcaster should be accused of being both too left-wing and too right-wing, as the BBC o- often does in, in the UK. Like, I think a good public broadcaster should piss off everyone. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, exactly. I think I, I do agree, like, uh, as a Melbourneian uh, we went yeah. through a period last year, obviously, and uh, we had dictator Dan getting yep, hammered yep. relentlessly by parts of the media relentlessly and people getting upset about like that side of thing and like my view the whole time with that was just it's not about I'm happy if 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 everyone was getting this relentlessly hit I'd be happy like my issue is with him getting pursued like oh it's too right-wing him getting pursued it's like that I'm like no as long as everyone was getting hit this hard then it's great because that's actually what media should do really maybe not so sensationalist but yeah holding everyone to account constantly that's kind of yes. a good thing yeah well, and what's,
1: like what's interesting funny. about what's happened with gladys we don't have dictator dan we have cool mum gladys where everyone's allowed to misbehave as much as they want and um and i've been noticing i've been talking about it a lot on my sans pens podcast news fighters covering the the new south wales outbreak and um the commercial media is holding gladys to account more than the abc is it's sunrise and today um interviewing the New South Wales liberals who are hassling her more than, more than the ABC is by the looks of it. So it's, it's, it's interesting times.
0: Yeah. It makes it really hard for a <laughs> Yeah. That's, uh, look it, it, Okay. So this is, this does tie into the book a bit. Cause I, I, I do wonder about, uh, it's something which Hunter S Thompson, I don't know whether he started. So you might know more about this because you, did you study journalism or something like that when you were younger? or Not was really. I did a
1: I, I did a uh, TV production. So, okay. we touched a bit on, didn't really do journalism, but touched oh, okay. a bit on communication stuff, I guess. Yeah.
0: Right, right, right. So, because I was just wondering how much you know about, like, because I don't know. Uh, from my understanding, Hunter mm. Thompson did he kind of start his concept of the gonzo journalism? That was him?
1: Yeah. It's, it, look, as far as I know, I have to p- plead ignorance. Like, I've only read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and this. I've never, for all my political junkie dumb, I've never got into his books on Nixon. Like, Nixon, for me, is just too old. Like, who cares? um his books you know fear and loathing on the campaign trail and all that kind of stuff um but as far as i know he he more or less did invent the the term and the idea of gonzo journalism of putting himself you know making himself the subject um of the of the article which i think he was the political the main political correspondent for rolling stone magazine mm. in the us was kind of how that came about so he was um out on the campaign trail you know talking up Jimmy carter and and, and um, uh, I forget the name of the Democratic candidates in 68 and 72 but you know he was very much he was very yeah he very much invented that much imitated style of starting an article by talking about himself on you know <laughs> in the thick of it
0: <laughs> that, that, that's why I'm wondering how that, like, that relates because obviously doing satire and stuff and it's hmm. it's news where you admit that you're a person making it opinion so it's almost like <laughs> i'm not <Gotcha>. saying it's <laughs> he started the end of western democracy but like he just started the idea <laughs> of like oh i'm not actually being impartial i'm totally partial and here's me involved in it and giving this news like interesting it's almost owning that you know
1: what i mean um which yeah is yeah such
0: a bold statement from but i'm saying it seems like he's no a no of i think you're movement.
1: right I think you're right, but I think also there's always been opinion writers. But he was, you know, the chief, as far as I know, the chief political correspondent for, you know, a youth public, you know, Rolling Stone, a youth publication, which probably did try and look for a different angle. But look, I have to, I have to plead ignorance. I haven't I haven't read um, much of his early stuff. But you could argue that yeah, it foreshadows what's kind of happened with social media and everyone, you know, putting themselves in the thick of the story and Sky News After Dark where it's, you know, you know, Sky News After Dark is not news. It's just opinion. Um, yeah. And, and everyone has a side. And I guess, yeah, maybe Hunter S. Thompson started that. I, you will have to ask someone who knows this better than me. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's all right. Um, so, <laughs> like I said, this show's all about just finding the links everywhere. So, I guess uh, on that point, though, like about the uh, putting – uh, the perspective on it. Like when you – so you've been now doing this news satire sort of stuff for like your – for a long time now, right? How many years have you been doing it?
1: God. Well, I mean, even in high school, me and my friend uh, my friend Sam – Sam Bowering, who's a, who's a stand-up comedian, would write a, an email newsletter of like news jokes, comedy jokes and, and dumb jokes. So like I would say I've been more or less doing it since high school. I was lucky enough to get my foot in the door with The Chaser in 2005 for, for w- War and Everything. Um, so yeah, God, I mean, in TV for fifteen years, sixteen years now. Yeah, that's a, that's
0: a lot. That's many lifetimes of TV. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. um, and like, so yeah, so you've always liked that current news twist thing that you like. That's what you've
1: always enjoyed. Yes, and especially news comedy. Like, I love the like the energy and the catharsis. Like, I feel like tonight Tonightly was just my ultimate dream job because it was everything I've built towards. Because you can make fun of the news that day it's just so immediate and it's just has this amazing cathartic release and also the thing i love is that you never run out of subject material like i could never be a stand-up comedian um who does the same 20 minutes of jokes over and over because i just get bored like i love i love even on a weekly show i love making the show getting it done and then starting on the next thing Yeah, yeah um it's just constant new material. And I'm not saying you don't refine it and make it as good as you possibly can, but I'm also just a total deadlineist. It's like 8 o'clock, put it out, wake up tomorrow, make the next one.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's like because – yeah, was it daily thing or was it weekly?
1: Tonightly say, was daily. Tonightly so you, was four days a week. That's intense. Um, so you just have was, to turn it around. It, it was incredibly intense. And it, you don't have time to be precious. And I kind of enjoyed that as well because it's like – if anything, it, it stopped you from overthinking jokes. Yeah. because um, you would just be like, Hey, that's funny, great, done, next. <laughs> um <laughs> But then on the Chaser, all their shows were weekly. We did that you know, their election shows were weekly. The hamster wheel uh was a new was like media a funny version of Media Watch and War and everything was kind of more stump based, but and it was weekly, but you know, we made so much material that we didn't really have a chance to overthink it then either. Like we were often still editing the show at 7.30 p.m. and it was on air at 8 p.m. Like it was, it was manic.
0: Yeah, that's a, but like you said, it actually is good in a way because it just forces you to, you can't waste time. So you just kind of, you just keep going. you like, oh, that's good, that's yeah, good, that's good, yeah,
1: keep going. And also you don't have time to argue with people. You just, uh, you, and especially on a daily show where you have time to fill, you let people make what they want to make and you defer to people and, and that's great. And it's weird having done daily TV. Now, when I go back and work on weekly TV and I sit in a meeting where people argue about the color of a bread box for 10 minutes, I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> move on.
0: <laughs> yeah, you straight I just bored with it. I get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Planning for your next trip?
1: Plushcare dot com slash weight loss.
0: Um, so, with that, uh, I guess uh, so. Here's a question about mm-hmm. news and satire in general. So sure. w- would you firstly like acknowledge your own biases when you're producing this stuff? Like you're, you're aware of your own slant, I'm guessing, with, or is it more like you're just taking the piss out of everything but it ends up with one side being more?
1: What, what's, it, what's interesting, one, th- one thing I definitely learnt working from The Chaser, which I think I'd, I would argue was a failing of Tonightly, was The Chaser ch- definitely tried to be equal opportunists. So they would, you know, poke fun at the Greens and Labor and the National, you know, they would try and poke fun at everyone, partially I think because they knew they were on the ABC and didn't want to be accused of being too biased either way, whereas I feel like Tonightly didn't have that as a kind of modus operandi. Um, but that said, we were also just poking fun at what was in front of us, which was a coalition government at the time. Yeah. Um. So in terms of, I think the thing I brought to Newsfighters from The Chaser is trying to be... A, a, equal opportunists like clearly i think scott morrison is a goose and i don't like him and i'm not afraid to admit that but you know labor will announce a policy that will make you know keeping negative gearing and make housing unaffordability uh making buying a house impossible for young people and you definitely got to poke fun at that as well Mm. um so you know i definitely you know skew more towards the left on the side of politics but i think a good satirist will or will will uh, you know or anyone who holds power to account or or pokes fun at politicians or the media or news has to note the failings on both sides and also i think that's how you wind up with better governance i don't know yet you, you know labor can't get a free pass because you know i can't just because they want to build more coal mines i'm like no they shouldn't they shouldn't do that that's a yeah. that's a bad policy <laughs>
0: No, 100%. That's a, I think that's a – yeah, it's always the toss-up though because like then if you, you fall into the trap of, you know, oh, every side's doing dodgy things, then you actually fall into mm-hmm. another trap which then is – everyone. oh, so it's all the same, so who cares? But it's like, no, no, there's one that's worse, but that doesn't mean the other one gets off.
1: Yeah, like, well, I, I mean guess- I think 80 per- 80% of my material on News Fighters is about the federal coalition, so I think that tells you which side is, is worse, <laughs> 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 at least in my opinion. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, uh, which, uh, like I said, it's nothing wrong with. The whole... It's weird how, in satire, like as in, it is in general, just you just don't get conservative satire. It just doesn't work.
1: They've look. They've tried. I, there was a, a Fox News show that launched in America, uh, Gutfield, uh, which I think is doing a tremendous ratings, like up there with Colbert and, and the other guys. But it's, but there's just no jokes. It's, just, it's just like the left sucks.
0: I never ever choose for a while. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. No. It, it's it's interesting. I my my gut feeling opinion on this. I don't know. I haven't really thought this through. But um, I think look. I don't know. I I get the feeling that um, uh, psychologically, maybe people on the left have more empathy. Maybe I don't know. So they <laughs> see the. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Is that why, is that why they can? I actually It just sounds funny. Or creative, creative people, creative people, I mean, yeah, creative yeah, yeah. people have more empathy so they automatically lead more towards no. the left, I think. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's I a, up, uh, I, I think,
0: yeah, I would say it's a whole bunch of things. I think the big one is obviously, um, it's easy to satirize things which are the biggest things and the right mm. <laughs> is huge because <laughs> in most of the things <laughs> that are going on, uh, Conservative stuff, just screwing people over and taking away nature and all that stuff. So I think it's a lot. Yes. There's a lot more there happening anyway. But also, I remember,
1: yeah. I, rem- I remember when the Chaser was in. Was they did one season? I wasn't on it. Poking f- when Kevin Rudd was prime minister, and that they were just the jokes were about the debt going up, and I was like, this isn't <laughs> a good target. This isn't funny. But you know, it was. <laughs> it's like that's the worst thing they're doing right now. It, it's like Kevin Rudd's first year as prime minister. It was like, okay.
0: That's a uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that. I mean, that's sounds like a good thing. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. if, if only, if only it wasn't so yeah. easy
1: to make satire, isn't it? I know. At the time, we didn't realize how good we had it. I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. It is weird how crazy it's like, in, especially Australia. I mean, mm. what is going on? It's 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 going <laughs> crazy. It's interesting you're saying you weren't actually studying journalism, so you were always more focused on the comedy side of things and then the news side of things. So. I guess, did you do much writing in terms of personal sort of writing stuff or has it always just been kind of taking the piss out of the news that day? So personal stories, oh, travel logs, things like that, even blogs. Jeez. From back no, the even, at,
1: even at uni, like I did – so I wrote for Street Press for five years. I wrote for Revolver uh, in Sydney in the Brag, uh, which is it's just folded but I think lives on in web, web form. Um, so I've mostly just done – even at uni, I just did u- a movie reviews and little interviews and articles and little comedy – Joke, like it was more like comedy jokes, like like notes about jokes about the news and stuff. Um, that's always kind of interested me more. I haven't really um, wanted to write fiction or um, or even or even screenplays or or TV series. Like I'm not I'm not one to write to want to write a sick. I mean, I've tried writing sitcoms and it's really hard. It's just much easier to do you know five jokes about something in the news for me. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's that much because uh, as soon as something gets boring, you just move on to the next thing.
1: <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, yeah. But, you know, and, and I, I must have a short attention span because I, mu- I much prefer that quick turnaround of TV as well. Like the couple of times I've edited sitcom pilots and it's taken months and months and months, it's just driven me absolutely crazy. Like I couldn't imagine working for 18 months on a feature film. I couldn't. Really yeah, imagine any, anything. It is. It, worse.
0: I know. It, it, it's like you just see it so many times. It's one of those things where, like, you realize how people can bring out something and just have no idea if it's good or not because they've just spent so long on it, you just don't have any idea anymore. You're just making a well, thing.
1: Yeah, you lose. You lose all perspective. Yeah, you do lose all perspective. Um, yeah. But that can even happen when you edit a segment for three days. <laughs> You've seen it so many times. You can lose lose all that perspective. As yeah,
0: well. it's it's like with comedy, especially, just like is this. It's not funny to me anymore, but obviously like as in, yeah, like mm. maybe, but I don't know, yeah. And then, <laughs> or you find it funny for the reasons which people outside of it wouldn't even find it funny anymore because it's, it's weird and different from the actual thing, which mm. is I think another issue that can sometimes happen. Mm, mm. Um, so I guess, but we can't talk about Hunter S. Thompson and the Rum Diaries and him in general without going to the other side, which is obviously his, uh, he likes to rock.
1: <laughs> he likes to party. His yes. His
0: debaucherousness. So was that something that appealed to you as well?
1: Well, look, what's what, uh, interestingly, I read this before I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I knew I knew the movie. And it's something like when you're 20 in your early 20s, you watch Fear and Loathing and you're like, oh, that's so cool. That's so much fun. Yeah, great. Party time. Excellent. And then as you get older, and same thing happened with me in The Beats and Kurulak, and you, you revisit it later on and you're like, wow, that's dangerously self-indulgent. I hate to think how many people took up drugs because of this and endangered their lives through this reckless behavior. Um, So uh, the rum diary actually isn't that debaucherous. Like he's, he, he, he drink. Oh, well there is quite a lot of drinking and partying, but it's not self-destructive like, like fear and loathing is. Or I, or I assume his, um, his later books are. So no, it is interesting. And it's interesting revisiting Books that you enjoyed when you were younger. And I think, you know, I reread Fear and Loathing and I'm just like, this guy's dangerous. <laughs> but I reread The Rum Diary and I'm like, oh, it's just having a few drinks and having fun. It's all good.
0: Yeah. It's like, I can relate to this more now. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> like this other one. So, did you, you never had like a too dangerous, self destructive streak yourself when you were younger?
1: Oh, you know, we all have our early 20s, at least for me, um, you know, our early 20s phase of, of discovery, I suppose you'd call it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, it's a very polite way of putting that, yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and then if, if, uh, it is funny. You get old, you just look back, and you're like, "Ugh." For me, it's more like, oh, "I just want to have a sleep." How good's waking up clear-headed?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. I've reached the age where I, you know, I think you know, I played poker and have four or five beers, and I wake up the next day, and I'm like, "What did I do to myself?"
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that. I know.
1: I know. And all the listeners in their early twenties are like, "What are these people talking about?" <laughs> I'm going to be young forever. Woo. Yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, don't know okay. if you, I don't even know if it felt that good then. You just ignored it because you just didn't care about anything. You could sleep in until 11 and it didn't matter.
1: Yeah. I think phys- it's just physical decline <laughs> over age.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
1: <laughs> so,
0: Okay. So, so it's good. Yeah. The debaucherousness, I think it always does. If you've done that, it can always be like, ah, and for you, but it sounds like for you more, it was the uh, – Unity—the togetherness of the team—hanging out and
1: actually, you're right. no, yeah. Now that you mention that, that's right. I feel like fear and loathing is him and his accountant just trashing hotel rooms and being prats, whereas this is this is him and his friends hanging out and drinking mostly. It's not him just you know being self-destructive or destroying hotel rooms or anything. It's it's a lot more that kind of yeah that community of of, of weirdo journalist media types, which I probably relate to.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, I do want to ask, uh, again, this is just, just, just from the writing perspective. So we, with yours, do you have oh, like yeah. a I do you, – do you, I'm always interested with people who like, especially with something like this where you're churning it out, do you have like a system that you use to kind of like work on it? Like whether that's like the physical system of like, you know, handwriting versus computer or like also systems like, oh, I'm going to unpack this news article through this and this and this and try this. And like if it doesn't hit with any of these, moving on to the next thing. Like do you have anything like that or is it much more so –
1: on, on News Fighters, I guess I have the um, the luxury of doing it weekly so I can kind of throughout the week see what news stories are bubbling away and be like, oh, this is the story this week. So, you know, a few weeks ago, Scott Morrison was in the UK at the G8, the G7 and was going to pubs. And I was like, well, I think there's something in this. <laughs> um, so, you know, you can have the story bubbling away in the back of your head. And then on, on News Fighters, I, what I do is I generally have a, a day hunting for clips um, so I'll decide the news story and then go through all the news and find the clips and I'll find the funny clips and then do jokes off the clips. And then that's kind of, um, how news, how news fighters works. Um, in terms of writing, it's often, often you, you, if you're doing a week, if you're doing uh, news fighters is mostly like a big monologue. So I think of what the big topic of the week is, but on a show like tonightly, or I think the chaser shows, it was more, you think of a funny hook for something and then you build, the, you build the jokes off it. And I just—I'm just a news junkie, so I'm paying attention to the news all the time. Just have it on constantly, so I'm just often hearing funny clips of little things you can build sketches out of, and and going from there.
0: And like from the sound of you've been a news junkie forever since a kid, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like in in high school, um, I got a subscription to the to the Sydney Morning Herald (laughs) because my school was like, "Hey, is it? We got half price." I was like, "Okay, great." And then I did a subject in high school called General Studies. Which is like you just sit around and talk about the news, and I like top the grade in it. <laughs> it's like the, a weird New South Wales thing. General studies. Here you go. Sit around and talk about the news. Okay, great. <laughs> Podcast practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. P- pretty much. Yeah. yeah
0: that's. Um, were you, you like? Did you, grow, did you grow up in a family like that was news interested, or were you like an outlier?
1: No, no, I think so. Yeah, like I, yeah, my family always kind of had the news on um at night. Yeah. It was just something so like I remember uh I remember the Berlin Wall coming down. I remember uh the breakup of the Soviet Union. I remember Boris Yeltsin dancing drunk. I remember I think I remember the Challenger disaster or when I was like a toddler. Like the news was just kind of always on in my house. Yeah. And it very much punctuates you know, you remember these events. It punctuates your day-to-day life.
0: That's true. You get uh, hooks to then remember the events around your own life. <laughs> yeah. Haley's, I remember
1: Haley's, seeing Haley's Comet as a little kid, which I think a lot of people don't even remember. Has it, really? You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Haley's Comet, for sure. Oh, wow, okay. That's... 1987, I think it was. I was I can't like, believe... seven years old. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's impressive. Jeez.
1: Yeah. Um. So... <laughs> uh i more remember the Halley's comet ice cream to be honest that's the, <laughs> there was an ice cream called Halley's comet
0: okay that makes more sense that's hitting yeah yeah, yeah but i do but that, that tied
1: in with me looking up and seeing it one night yeah yes. yeah that's classic memory
0: uh palace <laughs> yeah. memory uh, mnemonic yeah. stuff um so okay here's a weird here's just a tangent um does liking the news mean you like gossip and stuff as well do you like local stuff your own or does it just news big topics
1: what are you, like gossip stuff? Like
0: yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm just pulling it out About celebrities, of my house, or yeah, I'm just curious. No, no, as in friends. Like as in, are you a bit of a gossip? Do you like to be up to the news on what's going on around you? Yeah,
1: look, you know, I think you know. I I currently have lawyer. To, I can't talk about it, but lawyers are ringing me, being like, "What did you say in the work kitchen one time?" <laughs> so. I can't talk about it. So, so, so clearly, you know, again, it comes back to rum diary. I, you know, sit around with my friends and we, and we have a little, uh, have a little gossip sometimes. Sure.
0: <laughs> I like all the news, local, you know, super You should local. work,
1: you know, you know, oh, but, yeah, but a lot, it, it's also like, you know, this, you know, what different work, you know, offices, production companies are up to and, you know, what's going good, where, and if there's work going here or there. It's the, you know, it's the freelance life, much like in The Rum Diary, they're all kind of freelance journals, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's always a big part of life. People don't realize how much uh, socializing is such a big part of everything, I guess, especially with this industry. It's like it's all oh, about knowing yeah, about absolutely. everyone, who's who and what's what and who's doing absolutely.
1: what. Absolutely. Whenever, whenever anyone asks, why don't you work in feature films, and I heard this answer years ago in TV land, the answer is just I don't drink at the right pubs. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you know, I don't hang out with those, with the right people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, all industries are a bit like that, but this feels, I don't know, it just feels like it's a bit more unstructured than uh, like banking or something.
1: That's oh, yeah. Hard. I mean, God, everyone, so many people, myself included, like don't even have a CV up to date <laughs> or don't even have a showreel or, uh, you know, or know how to apply for a job or do a job interview because it's just referrals of mates and mates and mates, which, you know, I think is actually... Bad for the industry as well. Like, you know,
0: um, which I agree. I think that's actually like, yeah, in terms of the industry not being a good thing, I think, yeah, it's the classic uh, understandable complaint that it can turn into a bit of a club, whether that's a boys' club or a left leaning club or a right leaning, like whatever, but it just ends up mm. limiting the people like who are talking to each other, I guess. Do you feel that as well yeah. when you're in that? Like, that sometimes maybe you're like, ah, oh, we probably don't have enough variety. Like and again, I'm not talking about specifically gender and sexual variety, but more actually like maybe from across a broader spectrum of society, which I mean is actually inevitable because you're only going to have people who want to be on TV or who want to be involved in entertainment, which is straight away limiting, I guess, the points of view, right?
1: Yeah, a little bit. There's, there's, um, I mean, the chaser were five guys, which I don't think would be allowed <laughs> today. <laughs> there's that. There's that. Uh, I think meritocracy. Growing up, I definitely favored meritocracy over aristocracy, which I thought to be the alternative that people should be <laughs> judged on merit um, over, you know, their bloodlines, um, for instance. Uh, I, I actually went to a selective school, um, which I don't know how I got into. I just fluked to the entrance exam, I think, a public selective school. Are
0: those the schools where, like, there's a high – you have to hit certain criteria to get in? Is that
1: right? Yeah. Well, it's just everyone in the state sits an exam in year six, and then the, you pick which schools you want to go to, and the top ones – get in well not everyone in the in the state sits an exam just the people who want to go to to nerd schools um yeah. uh, and then often those schools rank in the top the best ones rank in the top for the state at the end of year 12 um but i think there's a there's been a big push um against meritocracy the last few years i don't know if 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 you've encountered this as well because a lot of meritocracy uh, a lot of people have advantages in meritocracy based on the way they 're born and based on their upbringing and based on um you know intergenerational wealth and things like this so there 's in america there 's a big push against selective schools that we 're starting to see um here in sydney and I think uh the the push towards um you know, in increasing diversity in writers' rooms is especially a good thing because, you know, we don't want a writers' room that's all white men. Like, you look back at old footage of Letterman and the the whole writers' room was white men, one woman. And, um, you know, I think we definitely need a d- diversity of voices in comedy and in TV. And, you know, I think we need to, you know, if anything, it's is it more meritocracy or better representation if we have – people from more diverse backgrounds and more shared backgrounds. Because, yes, you know, the, the people who are, who are most likely to have the means to be able to, uh, you know, put up with the very insecure work and gig-based nature of making six episodes of TV once every three years or once a year or once every two years is yeah. people who come from stable, wealthy backgrounds in Australia. So, is that kind of what what you were hinting at?
0: Yeah, yeah, essentially. Mm. Um, Which can be hard to, yeah, reckon. Because almost, how
1: do you fix that? It's kind of hard in a way. Um, Yeah, well, I think you know the ABC and SBS are doing are doing good jobs at um, at increasing this, but there's, you know, I think TV in Australia is still a little too male centric and a little a little too white. Like, you know, you, um, you know, all the you know the the host of insiders, host of Q and A white men <laughs> um yeah. so you know it's you know it's interesting
0: yeah i mean it's a as you mentioned though i feel like dude i contextualizing what you just said as well because uh when you're saying it's a push away from meritocracy i feel like that, that could be taken the wrong way saying is in like you still want the best people to be doing it but obviously your definition of best can vary depending on your
1: outlook i think is the better way to phrase it potentially but it's like, tough because you know in tv as well you know we put, you know, there's a push for diversity, but it's still a lot of people's brothers, brothers and cousins, and husbands and wives get hired on shows. So, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, like that is the best. Like, if anyone asks me what's the best way to get a foot in the TV industry, it's 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 who you who you marry, <laughs> it's, or who your dad is. Like, it still yeah. is that way in Australia. Well, this is a- <laughs> this is grim. All right, <laughs> sorry, I am. I you know I been in the, I've been making t v for fifteen years now it's <laughs> maybe getting a little bit bitter sorry <laughs> sorry to anyone out there
0: no nah, it's just me and that to be honest, I think that's how the whole world works to varying degrees so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not it's maybe just a bit more obvious because the opportunities are slightly rarer and the 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 measurement of talent is harder in some ways because yes everyone can be fu- it's hard to measure who's charm- everyone's kind of charming everyone's kind of funny so it's like if someone else is writing the words for them, I feel like yeah, it's not the same standard as like, oh, you got to be able to complete this mathematical model or whatever, or run this race or whatever. So, I think it's a vaguer criteria in media sometimes. So that can be sometimes the and actually, and on top of that, which you might not want to comment on, sometimes people just be bad and they're still there. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? You've got no charisma. How is how is this possible?
1: I know, I know. But uh, yeah, but that's more. I think the you know the older the older the older folks. It is great to see that younger. You know younger talent being nurtured is very diverse. I worked on um Husey, we have a problem this year uh and they had uh nazim nazim hussein as one of the they as one of the everyday panelists and I think it was just great to have a guy on a commercial talk show you know talk about going to mosque and talking about his family and I think this is just kind of and you know and channel Ten doing this and I think that's that's really great for for Australia, yeah. And he's hilarious. And he's ala- and he's so funny. He's such a yeah. joy and such a nice guy and such a joy to edit. Like he's such a funny guy.
0: Yeah, and, th- and th- I think that's the example of like where it's not meritocracy because like he's super talented. So it's just like that he just wasn't allowed in before. So that's why uh yeah. It's still talented, the people getting let in. Well,
1: <laughs> I think like- channel ten channel ten wanted diversity and they went for just the, the you know, the best people out there, which is which is great. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. And I think that's what can sometimes people could be like, Oh, you're just letting people in who are yeah, you he's know, hitting these quotas. was like there's good people there to fill those quotas, they don't get seen otherwise.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, how did we get onto diversity quotas? Jeez. All right. I think I was just <laughs> whinging about the TV industry. I apologize.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. Well, I think that kind of covers things. All right. Thanks, George. Um. The last thing I always ask people is, uh, do you feel like you found any new connections between yourself and the Rum Diaries? The Rum Diaries.
1: Yeah. De- yeah. Definitely. I think like I think I said before, a great book or a great movie you come back to. So I think I've read the rum diary kind of once a decade and I come back to it and it's still the characters I like hanging out with and, um, and it's, you know, a different connection every time I read it, whether I was a uni student or a, you know, or a, or a street press journal, or a grizzled old bitter TV editor like I am today. It's you know, there's something relatable. It's in- just getting more and more bitter. there's <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> something in there. No, no, it's it's also like it's 200 pages, and it's a fun little. It's a it's a great little beach. It's a great little beach book. If you just want to have a holiday while you're in lockdown.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, you've you've actually made me want to read it. I might actually read it soon. I do like 200 pages. That's that's easy. That's super easy. So yeah,
1: put get a hammock, sit in the sun. Pour, it, pour a rum. Put your feet up.
0: I'm in Melbourne, but I can try it. <laughs> Sit in the cold. <laughs> I can sip the rum. Pour an espresso. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> Huddle under a blanket, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Well, thanks a lot for that. Um, yeah, and is, uh, can anyone to catch you? What would you have them catch you on? Oh, yes. Yeah, so Any my yeah, so here them? on
1: Sam's Pants, um, my weekly podcast is called News Fighters. Uh, it's where all your podcasts are. Um, we're at newsfighters.com. Uh, where I poke fun at the news every week. Check us out. Perfect. All right, thanks a lot. All right, thanks, George. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com. For as little as five dollars a month, you can have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com.